Heavenly Father God, we come before your presence this moment, this morning, with thankful hearts. Because of who you are, the Almighty, our Creator, our Heavenly Father. So thankful, not only for who you are, but the work of your hands. So thankful, Heavenly Father, for what you do. What you have done for us. So thankful for your precious thoughts towards us, your children. So thankful, Lord God, that eternally planned our salvation. So thankful for your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, born of the Virgin Mary, lived that perfect life, who died on the cross, was buried and rose again for our sins. We're so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ who purchased our salvation. We are so thankful for your Holy Spirit, our comforter and our teacher. So thankful that he is the one that gives us spiritual life. Very thankful, Lord God, that when you saved us, you give us eternal life that begins the day you save us. We're thankful for your church around the world. And thankful for this local church, Lord God, for the love that you have placed in our hearts for you and for one another. Thank you for each precious saint here this morning. Thankful Pastor Joel, his wife and family, and for all the saints here that have and continue to labor out of gratitude in your honor and your glory. Pray for the saints at Logos Christian Church and for Joel as he preaches this morning. Just pray, Father God, that he will be a channel of your blessing. Blesses the saints there with your word. Pray that you would be honored and glorified this morning. And that we would not just be hearers, but doers of your word, Lord God, that you would increase our faith. We acknowledge, Lord God, that Everything is from you. But we, your children, Lord God, are filled with gratitude. Desire, Lord God, not to earn favor from you, Lord, but to respond to your favor. That sacrifice of thanksgiving. Pray, Lord God, for any precious soul here this morning, Lord God, that has not yet responded in faith and repentance has not yet fully understood the glorious gospel, has not fully understood the person and work of Christ, that amazing love that was bestowed on the cross as we heard this morning in the kids' talk, that greatest thing that we've been blessed with, Lord God, for your only begotten Son to lay down his own life for his friends. Let's pray for any precious soul that has not yet Receive that gift through faith and repentance that this morning you, O Lord, will open their hearts. You, Lord God, would lift that veil. We come to you in prayer for this because we acknowledge that salvation is from you and you alone. We ask you, Lord God, 
you would bless this congregation, that you would bless us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, in Psalm chapter 116, verses 1 to 11, the psalmist declares what God has done for him in the midst of the greatest trial that he'd ever faced in his life. And in verses 12 to 19, the psalmist declares his own response to God's goodness. Look with me there in verse 1. The psalmist says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplication. And in verse 2, because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. This is the same truth that John the Apostle affirms when he says in 1 John 4.19 that we love God because he first loved us. The psalmist expresses his love for God as he ponders on how God heard him in his time of affliction. We see in this psalm that he is overwhelmed with love for God because he cannot fathom how the Almighty God gave ear to him in the time of his trial, in the time of his trouble. In verse 3, he says that he was in agony at the point of death. I say that it was the greatest trial that he'd ever faced because in verse 3, he expresses that he was facing death. Look with me in verse 3, he says, The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of the grave laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. He was at the lowest point in his life. He was facing death. His very life flashed before him and he was in physical and emotional agony. In verse 4, he begs God to spare his life. Look with me there in verse 4. He says, Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you. In other words, I beg you. I beg you, deliver my soul. He's talking about his life. Deliver my life. In verse 5, he declares who God is. Thank God he had a right view of God as his child. He says in verse 5, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. He said that in the midst of his agony. Rather than saying why, why God, he says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. Not only did God give ear to his prayer and hear him, but God chose on this occasion to preserve him and to physically save him from his physical illness that caused him to look at death right before him. see in these first six verses that the psalmist was at the point of death. He cried unto the Lord. The Lord gave ear to his cry. He heard him. And the Lord preserved him and healed him from this physical death that was right before him. In verse 7, he expresses his gratefulness 
as he reminds himself of the goodness of God. Look with me there in verse 7. He says, Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. He acknowledges that the Lord was good to him, and he treated him better than what he deserves. And then in verse 8, he repeats how God delivered him from death. Look with me there in verse 8. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. And then notice with me in verse 9, he makes a vow, slash a commitment to live for God. In other words, he's saying to God, that's it. I'm going to live for you. Look with me in verse 9. He says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. In other words, I'm going to live my life for the Lord. The rest of my life. And it's a very common thing to do for a child of God. It's very common that in the time of our distress, in the time or the season of our greatest trials, it is common during these times that we respond with surrender to God. Of course, from God's perspective, He works all things out for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So from God's perspective, He is the one that brings us to our knees, causes us to surrender. From our human perspective, it is common for the child of God to say to his heavenly father, in that day of his distress, it's common for him to say, Daddy, if you would just deliver me from this trial, I will surrender it all to you. That is what Hannah in the Old Testament prayed in the midst of her anguish, of her time of trial. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 10, Hannah says these words, And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Her trial was that she couldn't have children. That is a sore trial. She says in verse 11, Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. Because... Though God is not obligated to give ear to our prayers. And of course, though God is not obligated to give us anything. Our merciful Father does give ear to His dear little children when they call unto Him in anguish. Though his answer is not always according to our own desires. 
And though we might not always understand his specific answer to our prayers, he always gives ear to his repentant, broken, and contrite children. And he always answers our prayers according to his own will. I'm not saying that he always gives us our own desires. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Always answers the prayers of his children according to his perfect will. Sometimes it's with a yes. Sometimes it's with a no. And sometimes he's silent, but that's still an answer to our prayers. Silence means wait. Wait. Waiting, even though I can't see it, is a good thing. This is like us as fathers. My children ask me for a lot of things. They think like I'm a billionaire. We go to the shopping center and they just ask me for everything. They know I'm a big softie and I want to do everything. I don't always answer them according to their wishes. Sometimes it's a no. It's always, as a father thinking for what's best for my children. More to the point, God gives ear to our vows that we make in the midst of our agony because He is merciful. If He was not merciful towards His children... He would say something like this if he was not a merciful God. He would say, oh, now that you're in need, you are vowing? Why did you not vow when everything was rosy? Why did it take this sickness or this trial or this thing that you're going through now? A merciless God would say, well, too bad, you should have committed yourself when everything was sweet. A loveless God would say, you need to love me first and then I will love you. That's what humans do, scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. But not so with God. He is full of love, mercy, and compassion towards His dear children. As the Word of God teaches us in Romans, He loved us while we were yet sinners. The psalmist goes on to say in verse 10, if you look with me there, he says there, I believed, therefore I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. Here he declares his faith in God. He believed that God was gracious, righteous, and merciful. And now he's declaring these glorious truths. He goes on to acknowledge that only God was his hearer, helper, and deliverer when he was at the point in his life where he was helpless and good to nobody. 
You think with me there, with human nature, when I'm in a state where I'm a blessing to those around me, I'm just talking about human nature. Everyone likes to be around someone that's pleasant and a blessing to them and so forth. But human nature is this, if I get to the point in my life where I'm useless or cannot be a blessing to anybody, human nature is, what, what can I get out of him? He offers me nothing. Nobody knows me. And he learned this, that he learned this and acknowledged that only God was his hearer, helper, and deliverer. Look with me there in verse 11. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What he's saying here is true in that all men are sinners slash liars. The psalmist experienced that painful reality that in the midst of our trials, when he had nothing to offer nobody, no one is to be relied upon but God. He experienced that painful reality that no one came to his aid. No one sympathized with him. No one gave him that listening ear. No one helped him and no one healed him. It's God alone. The reality is and the truth is that no one has the capacity to do for you what only God can do for you. This was Paul's experience. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's coming to the end of his life. He's in prison. His days were numbered. Towards the end of his life, facing death in a Roman prison, he writes these words in 2 Timothy 4.16. He says, At my first defense, that is in his trial, at my first defense, no one, no one. I've learned this the hard way. I, I, I was kind of born naive in the sense, not in a derogative sense, but in the sense that we're all learning. None of us are all knowing. We learn this painful reality as we go through life. He says, no one stood with me. No one stood with me. But all forsook me. And then notice what he says, may it not be charged against them. He's at the end of his life. He's a gracious man. He's experienced the grace of God. He's experienced his own sinful nature. As he describes it in Romans chapter 7. And he prays to God, even though everyone backstabbed, backstabbed him, he doesn't, say, well, he doesn't have a revengeful spirit, he doesn't say, oh, God, repay them. But may it not be laid to their charge. He understands that though human nature is like this, God is able to turn things around the life of his children. It's like the Apostle Peter was by nature a coward. He denied Christ to a girl. 
Oh, but did God turn that around when He filled him with His Holy Spirit and made him a martyr for the Lord Jesus Christ for God's glory and for God's sake? May it not be laid against them. Now verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And verse 18, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Psalmist being full of gratitude because of who God is and what God has done for him. Response. Now we know, as we learnt plainly in the kids' talk, we know that the children of God don't do anything to earn favor or to earn the favor of God. But we also know that true children of God always they take some time that always respond to the favor of God. Notice with me the question he asks himself in verse 12. He says there, what shall I render? In other words, what shall I, what shall I give in return? What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? What a question. This is a question that we all need to ask ourselves. What shall I return to the Lord for all His benefits towards me? Now the psalmist is not asking, what could I give to earn favor with God? Rather, he is a man overwhelmed with the favor of God. He is a man filled with gratitude and therefore cannot but respond in gratitude. He cannot but respond in thankfulness. He asked the question in such a way whereby he's acknowledging that there is nothing he can give that he has not already received. A uh, preacher and theologian by the name of Augustine who lived in the, the 5th century meditates on these words, uh, on this verse, and he says these words. And keep in mind, Augustine... Uh, before he became a Christian, before he was saved, he had lived a very immoral life. And he who has been forgiven much, loves much. He was a lover of God. Not only was he a great writer and great theologian, and a great thinker, he had experienced God. Notice with me, as he meditates on Psalm 116 verse 12, he says this, quote, what shall I pay back? Question mark. What for? Question mark. For all things he has rendered to me. What has he rendered to me? Question mark. I was nothing and he made me. I had gotten lost and he looked for me. Looked for me and found me. I was captive and he redeemed me. Having bought me, he set me free. From a slave he made me into a brother. What shall I render to the Lord? And I love what he says here. You haven't got nothing you can render. Unquote. 
More importantly, Paul, through the inspiration of God in 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, And what do you have that you did not receive? Now if you did not, uh, now if you, sorry, now if you in, uh, did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You know what he's saying? He's saying, why are you living your life as if you own your own life, as if you created yourself? Everything you've received is from God. So in other words, all we can render to God, all we can give to God is that which He has given to us. Augustine goes on to say, quote, The psalmist looks around everywhere for something he can render, for something to give, and he seems to find it. What does he find? He takes the cup of salvation. Unquote. Yes, we cannot offer anything to God to earn His favor. But he or she that has found favor with God, surrender that favor to God. Notice with me all the I wills from verses 13 to 19. Verse 13, he says, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I love the word there, take. In other words, he can only give to God that which he has taken from God. The cup of salvation is a metaphor of the physical and spiritual salvation of God. By saying, I will take the cup of salvation, he is saying to God, you have saved my life, therefore take my life. By saying, I will call upon the name of the Lord, He is saying that I exist to glorify and worship you, my God. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, the Word of God there says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? And in verse 24, you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Notice with me his next response, his next I will. In verse 14, he says, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. In verse 9, if you look back there with me, he said in verse 9, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So he makes that vow in verse 9, that he, that's it, I've had enough, I'm going to live for God. But then in verse 14, he says, I'm going to pay my vows. You know what is common for an unbeliever? It's common for an unbeliever to make vows slash promises to God when in distress, but as soon as he gets better, he forgets God. It's like, please, please, God, deliver me from this. And we're quick to forget once we get better. That's the common natural human thing. We're quick forgetters of that pain. 
It's like a New Year's resolution. It only lasts a certain amount of time. But it's not so with the child of God. The child of God pays his or her vows. The child of God understands. My vow that I make to God is enabled by God. By God's grace, He has enabled me to fulfill my vow, to fulfill my commitment. Psalmist vowed slash promised to live for God in verse 9, and now he fulfills that vow. Of course, the psalmist is only responding to God's grace. It was God that gave him life that's like you and me. It was God that preserved his life and sustained his life. That's like you and me. God not only has given us life, he's the one that sustains us. It was God that gave him eternal life. And now he is simply acknowledging that his life belongs to God. Notice with me now his spiritual maturity. In verse 15 he says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Think about it. An unbeliever thinks that that's a wacky statement. How could it be precious to see the death of a saint? Is the natural mind. Before he was in distress, sorry, before he was in distress and begging God to deliver him from physical death that daunted him so very much, and this led him to plead with God, Lord, spare my life and I will give you my life. Before he could only see the grace of God in healing, but now he can see the goodness of God even in death. it's only after death that the child of God experiences the completeness of his salvation he experiences complete healing in Revelation 21 for the word of God says and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes there shall be no more death nor sorrow nor crying there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away the child of God is called to set his affection on the things above not on the things of this earth we are only pilgrims and sojourners of this earth this is not our ultimate home and he sees this now because he was blessed with the grace of God notice with me Another response to the grace of God. In verse 16 he says, O Lord, truly I am your servant. He says it again, I am your servant. The son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. Talk about being grateful. You have loosed my bonds. You have delivered me. Psalmist not only surrenders his life to God, He surrenders as God's servant. In other words, he's 
come to the realization you are my everything. I don't even own myself. Surrendering my life to you. Keep in mind that a servant has only one priority in life and that is to obey and serve the master. Verse 17, he says, another I will. He says, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. The sacrifice of thanksgiving comes from a grateful and thankful heart that is rendered to God verbally when we pray to Him, when we sing to Him, and when we proclaim Him. The sacrifice of thanksgiving is also rendered to the Lord when we give to Him of our substance and works. Because a truly thankful heart does not make me all talk and no action. But a truly thankful heart, by the grace of God, makes me someone that not only proclaims this thankfulness and gratitude with my lips, but it comes out in my actions. Someone that's truly thankful to God, renders to God that which God has blessed him. And yes, that does include money. When I give to God, or when I give to the poor, someone who's in need, or when I give to the church, for example, I'm not doing it to earn favor with God. I'm doing it because I have God's favor. Not only do I, do I not do it to earn favor, I'm not doing it in a way where I'm doing him a favor. He doesn't need my favors. He doesn't need anything. I'm doing it out of a thankful heart. I'm doing it because I'm acknowledging that you're the one that's given me everything. Responding in gratitude. It's an act of faith. It's an act of worship. Being thankful always leads to actions of gratitude. And of course, the ultimate sacrifice of thanksgiving is the giving of our very lives. It's to surrender and say, take my life and let it be. Of course, the outflow of a thankful heart to God is a thankful heart toward others. To love my wife the way God has instructed me to. To love my children the way God has instructed me to. To love one another. And, it's to even, and even it is to love my enemies as Jesus has instructed me to. This is what 1 John 3.16 says. It says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I don't lay down my lives for one another to earn favor with God, but I do it because I've experienced Him who has saved my life, who has saved my soul. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross. He says in John fifteen thirteen, that greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. 
And when someone truly responds to that in faith and repentance, in trusting God, in asking God to take away his sins, he experiences that changed life. He increases in his desire to want to love God and love one another. The psalmist closes by saying in verses 18 and 19, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. When someone's entire life is sacrificed in thankfulness to God, He or she will live out the Christian life, both in private and in public, to the glory of God. This is consistent with what Jesus taught in Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. At this time, I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a word of prayer. Just before I pray, I just want to give you a moment of personal prayer between you and the Lord, a time for you to respond to God in prayer. All our heads are bowed and all our eyes are closed. I just want to give you time to speak to God. I want to encourage you to be thankful to God. And a few this morning... not experienced the ultimate love of God you haven't responded yet to what Jesus did on the cross for sinners to give eternal life to them that believe I encourage you this morning consider that matter life is very very short or you know it you're going to stand before God. And he is very clear. Those who repent and believe promise eternal life. But those who reject are damned, separated from God for all eternity in a place the Bible terms hell. I beg you to consider this matter. Give you all a few moments to pray to God, and then I'll pray in a few moments. Heavenly Father, God, once again, we're thankful this morning for who you are and what you do. Thank you for the, each precious soul here this morning. Let's pray for your rich blessings upon your children here this morning. We pray once again, Father God, that you would open up the heart him or her that has not yet believed on you. Submit all these things in your hands in Jesus' name.